on. I'm a crazy. Look, there goes the game. Tonight on Ithaca Now, we will learn about the rise of one of Ithaca's most well-known festivals, Wizarding Weekend, and see what it will look like in the future. It's just been volunteers and myself. Um, and truthfully, you know, there's been some help here and there from other organizations that are normally in charge of these events, but it's, you know, really fallen to myself to be the driving force. We will hear about what goes into running a small business in the Ithaca Commons and how Downtown Ithaca Alliance is a resource for those businesses. It's a lot of work and, and, and most people don't recognize the toil and sometimes the trauma that goes into running a small business. We are going to learn about the most popular cat in the city of Ithaca. Ithaca Kitty was a stuffed toy that people could construct in their own home. And we'll hear the latest edition of Six Degrees. All right, so the student was in the front seat and I'm in the back seat and we were doing spins and um, in the middle of the spin, his seat belt came loose and he fell out of the seat. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news podcast focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Himadri Sait, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's episode, we will hear about what is next for the magical festival, Wizarding Weekend. We will hear about the history behind Ithaca's most magical festival, Wizarding Weekend, and it might and why it might not happen again. We will learn about Downtown Ithaca Alliance, giving us a look at what it is like to run a small business. We'll talk about the most famous cat in Ithaca, that might not even be a real cat at all. And we will hear the fifth episode of Six Degrees, our podcast that sets out to show how connected we are as people. Here's Community Beat. The family of Antonio Cialis has filed a lawsuit against Cornell University and Phi Kappa Psi, as well as several of the members of the fraternity. Cialis was found dead in the bottom of Fall Creek Gorge and was last seen attending a party hosted by the fraternity. The lawsuit claims negligence on the part of the defendants, and the family is seeking damages in the lawsuit. The residents of Ithaca will have to go on without having a local Denny's. The chain diner's location in town unexpectedly shut down this past Thursday with no plans to reopen. The Denny's branding is already starting to be cleaned out from the building. Denny's was in the area for six years, and its closure means there are no more 24-hour sit-down restaurants in Ithaca. Cornell has restricted travel to China due to the outbreak of the Wuhan coronavirus. They have banned all university-related travel to China and strongly recommend against personal travel to the country. 9.6% of Cornell students are Chinese. Additionally, any faculty and staff from Cornell who want to go to China for university-related travel will have to get approval from the university's International Travel Advisory and Response Team. TCAT is hoping to launch an on-demand ride service this upcoming spring. Named T-Connect, the program will let riders request a minibus that will take them from their house to an established TCAT bus stop and vice versa. The program will run initial trials in the Dryden area and will expand from there if it proves to be a success. While the service will be free for its first month, after that, riders will have to pay a service fee. 
How much this fee will be is still undecided. In a press conference at Dryden Town Hall, New York State Assemblymember Barbara Lifton has announced she will not seek re-election and will be retiring at the end of her term. Lifton currently represents Assembly District 125, which includes Tompkins County and parts of Portland County. She has served in the position since 2002 for nine terms. Tompkins County is looking for people to help with the upcoming U.S. Census. Hundreds of part-time and full-time jobs are being offered to residents of the area through the government. Pay is $20 an hour, and there is no experience or education requirements to apply. If interested, you can apply online at 2020census.gov jobs. For Michael Nemes, I'm William Strelakis, WICB News. This past week, the organizers of Wizarding Weekend announced that they will be taking a break from the fall festival in 2020. WICB correspondent Antonio Firm took a look at the history of Wizarding Weekend and what its future will look like. What comes to your mind when you first think Wizarding Weekend? Harry Potter. Wizards. Local Ithacans doing weird and questionable things but being really fun at the same time. I think it's very cute. A lot of college students going down, eating food, and hanging out with each other. College students having fun, dressing up. Think about Harry Potter, lots of food, lots of magic. I don't like big crowds of people, and it was a bit of a tough sell on that front, but it's still sad it's gone. You know, it's one of those things that I didn't take advantage of and then I'm going to be like, oh my god, I can't believe it's over. I love the Wizarding World because when I was really little, my dad would read to me and my twin sister um, Harry Potter as a kid at night to tuck us in their bed. And it's so cool to see like the pages come to real life in Ithaca. It was back in 2015 when local teens Gabe and Aiden Gatos came up with an enchanting idea to host a magical weekend in the Ithaca Commons celebrating the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. They pitched this idea to Darlin Overbaugh, the owner of Life So Sweet Chocolates. Overbaugh volunteered to run the five-hour event, only intending it to be a short and simple trick-or-treating experience. She posted the event details online, and before she could say abracadabra, the celebration went viral online and over 8,000 attendees showed up for Wizarding Weekend. People of all ages dressed up in costumes and took part in a series of wizarding-related activities and games. In the following year, 2016, the event expanded to the two-day street festival as 10,000 people attended. Local business owners were able to get in on the fun by selling products like wands and brooms, along with a wide variety of delicious foods. I last spoke to Darlin Overbaugh during an interview back in 2017 for a feature I was writing for the Ithacan about the event. At this point in time, it had already quickly become one of Ithaca's biggest attractions. The number of visitors doubled to a staggering 20,000 people over the course of the weekend. Steam topics were being integrated into the programming. There was a Half-Blood Prince blood drive in honor of the late Alan Rickman, who, of course, played Professor Snape in the Harry Potter movies, and they even raised over $7,500 for a charitable organization called the Blue Sky Center for Learning, which was a one-to-one -one autism center. Wizarding Weekend was at its peak. But fast forward two and a half years later to today, it turns out that's no longer the case. In fact, it was officially announced this week on the Wizarding Weekend website that the event will no longer be held in 2020 or beyond, or at least for the time being. So, I wanted to catch up with Overbaugh to see what factors led to the demise of the Wizarding Weekend. Yeah, when we uh, talked in 2017, we were at a stage where uh, Warner Brothers was really um, 
you know, giving us guidelines. And, and I love guidelines because they give me parameters. And we adhere to the guidelines. Uh, unfortunately, uh, other people didn't. And so they made the blanket decision to just say no to every, anyone. Overbaugh said this decision remains to be seen throughout other cities and locations throughout the United States and the world. In 2018, the festival really struggled when they lost volunteers and the weather didn't hold up nicely. It's just been volunteers and myself. Um, and truthfully, you know, there's been some help here and there from other organizations that are normally in charge of these events, but it's, you know, really fallen to myself to be the driving force. And, and when we lost a significant amount of money in uh, 2018, it, it, you know, it came to me to, to bear that burden. For Overbaugh, 2019 was all about getting back to the core of the event. However, with minimal support, it was hard to keep it going after that. This is a community event, um, and it should be reflective of the local community as well as the fan community. Um, and that's when myself and uh, two other people, Kathy Servos and my husband, uh, Bill Overbaugh, we founded uh, Fan Unity Inc., which is tasked with the job of putting together uh, events and other um, strategies for fans and local communities to connect. Uh, we recruited a board, we, you know, and we do have uh, other board members, um, and we, we had a rocky year. Um, because there was a lot of learning going on. So really what this decision is about is about taking a moment to appreciate the last five years, to analyze them, and to take a beat from the very get-go. We're looking at different opportunities so that everybody can be involved and, and really be a co-created thing as opposed to myself or anyone else dictating, you know, what this should be and how it should work. The Warner Brothers licensing agreement clearly limits the use of the Harry Potter brand in any way, shape, or form. But little to Overbaugh's knowledge, it turns out the company was a lot more relentless with their IP than she originally thought. I personally got sued in 2018. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, over the word wizarding. So not even over like Harry Potter or anything? No, nope, over the word wizarding. In 2017, she filed for a trademark because what they were doing was quite different from the typical Harry Potter theme. We were doing something very different. We were cultivating our own school. We were integrating in STEAM topics. We were, you know, pulling in aspects of fantasy and other people were starting to use the same name and I didn't want brand confusion. And despite committing to not using any of the Harry Potter intellectual property. We were given a cease and desist in 2018. We adhered to that. So now, Wizarding Weekend, as we know it, doesn't look to be happening anytime soon. The ship has sailed for Wizarding Weekend as, a, as an entity, as an event. In terms of Harry Potter, you know, we can't do anything with that. But that doesn't mean that the fans don't deserve the opportunity to express themselves. And we, as an organization, don't want them to repress that, their enthusiasm, their passion. The magical world of Harry Potter and the characters that live within it clearly inspire the Gato brothers and Overbaugh to create this festival in the first place. However, Overbaugh believes that the passion is still there for something special to happen in the future as a result of this disappointing revelation. There are areas, and, and, and any Harry Potter fan will tell you this, there are areas within that genre that are troublesome, that, that aren't, you know, equal or 
representative. Let's put it that way. Um, and those are those are issues that we're like, okay, well, we can address those things. This is a new concept. This is a new way of looking at things. Let's let's dig in. Let's do it. Let's celebrate together. So the question on everyone's mind: Will the Wizarding Weekend ever light up Press Bay Alley again? The short answer is probably not, or at least for a couple more years. However, Overball wants people to know that this isn't the end, and that events like this can keep happening if people support what they're passionate about. We have expectations. What are we going to do to contribute to that? And that's why I really want to engage the local and the fan communities to say, look, I've been doing this for five years. What can you do? What can you contribute? Is it a comic book? Is it fan fiction? Is it art? Is it, you know, a structure for this thing that we've built? And it really should be a we build. For WICB News, I'm Antonio Fermi. Downtown Ithaca is home to many small businesses. Downtown Ithaca Alliance is a group of people working to support and promote all that Downtown Ithaca has to offer, tourists and locals alike. WICB correspondent Jacqueline Agahigian looked into the work that this local alliance does and why it is important to small businesses. As I walk into downtown Ithaca, I realize how much local businesses play a huge important role into our local economy. However, with climate change, local government taxation, and competition with big corporate businesses, it is getting harder to run a local business. Yet, the Downtown Ithaca Alliance, created in 1997, is a state New York nonprofit organization in helping organize the management of Downtown Ithaca. Gary Ferguson, Executive Director of Downtown Ithaca Alliance, explains the importance of Downtown Ithaca Alliance here in Ithaca, New York. We are a business improvement district, so we actually exist to help uh, uh, not just revitalize, but manage, promote, and 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 really uh, uh, help grow uh, the urban core of Ithaca here. So the the, the downtown area around where we're sitting here, uh, some 22 blocks, is part of a uh, uh, called a business improvement district. And and our job is on a day-to-day -day basis to manage it and to run it and to help uh, promote and grow it. Ferguson also explains the challenges that arises into running a local business here in Ithaca. It's a lot of work, and, and, and most people don't recognize the toil and sometimes the trauma that goes into running a small business. Oftentimes, it's done with very little staff and oftentimes with not a lot of money. People sometimes do it for passion. They do it because it's something they like. They're people of all ages. Sometimes they come right out of school and say, yep, uh, and we'll start right up. And sometimes they wait till they're retired or anything in between. Sometimes they're well-financed and sometimes they're, they're under-financed. The challenges are that it's really, a, there's so many facets that go into doing a small business that it's hard for one person to be able to manage all that. Usually one person doesn't have all the skill sets that you know that necessary to do a business. There's so many different ones. Paul Gaugosi, co-owner of Sacred Root Kava Lounge and Tea Bar, explains how having local ties to the community of Ithaca helps promote local businesses. Nationwide, small independent businesses are 
being driven out by large corporations. To a degree, Ithaca has managed to resist that. Um, so we do have this sort of downtown core where a lot of smaller businesses have been able to thrive. It gives the community a bit more character than a lot of the places across the country where you go and you see the same chains of whether it's restaurants or entertainment complexes, those kind of things. Uh, this gives a little bit of unique personal touch that we feel people really connect with a little more. Galgozi also says how Ithaca and Cornell students play an important role into the local economy and that Ithaca being a tourist destination helps promote businesses. One of the things that's, you know, we're one of the only upstate economies that's growing and people come here as a destination. Um, students come here intentionally for academics. We're also a tourist destination. Um, so there's always new people coming to Ithaca um, and that always brings a new stream of people to learn about and appreciate your business. And then what we find is that as we've been here several years, people who were familiar with us and move away will often come back and visit as part of like their homecoming when they come, come back to Ithaca. And they'll say, oh, whenever we're in town, we always come here. And that's really, um, that's really positive. At the same time, though, Gary Ferguson, executive director of Downtown Ithaca Alliance, still explains how the local community does not know what Downtown Ithaca has to offer. Even people who have been here for a while don't necessarily know and understand what local businesses we have in downtown and, and elsewhere in, in, in the community. It's an amazing, actually, collection of, of, of local businesses when you kind of look at them all. And that's why if you look at our guide and the information that we put out here at the Downtown Alliance, you'll find it's, it's an incredible selection of, of, of different types of, of business and you know that, that exist here that most people don't really understand or appreciate. I know I wouldn't unless I, you know, I, I work here every day and I, I know and understand these businesses probably better than most. So part of it is, I think, getting some appreciation of actually what's here. With that, I think comes, I think, you know, comes a new appreciation perhaps and actually do uh, making a point to uh, spend a little bit of time visiting businesses, uh, learning about them and deciding if there are things that you would like to buy here. Ferguson additionally explains how having the in-person experience for businesses in Ithaca is essential for a local economy. Now there's a lot of people who still like to touch and feel and like the experience of going out and shopping and looking and, you know, just having that be a life experience. And we're not going to lose that. So I think the good news coming out of his mouth, and I, th I believe it too, is that I think there really is a future. Uh, for our businesses, particularly particularly ones who have figured out this question of how to be experiential. One of the things that's really important is we want our businesses to distinguish themselves from online uh, companies. One local business is trying the in-person experience for their customers. Kristen, the owner of the Cat Cafe, explains how having the in-person experience and be able to touch and feel the cats and have a nice cup of coffee is not only essential for her own business, but essential for customers during the cold and wintry season to be able to get out of the house and connected to the community. Obviously, everyone wants to be successful in the running of their business. Um, I had someone ask me if the business was successful um, not too long ago, and I said, they said, would you consider it a success? And I said, we can break that down two ways. We can look at our quarterly reports and bring it down to like the pennies and be like, oh, are we, are we successful? 
we're still here, we're successful. Um, or are we looking at the fact that we have had people tell us that the cafe has kept them from self-harm, that the cafe is being open was over the holidays is the reason that they're still here after the holidays. Um, we've had some really um, emotional connections with, with some vulnerable members of our community um, because we have this disconnect. And again, like sitting at home alone, isolated, shopping online is very different from you know, walking the commons, seeing the light, doing your shopping, coming to the cafe, getting your coffee, sitting with a cat, connecting with members of your community. Local businesses in downtown Ithaca play a huge vital role into the cultural and lifestyle here in Ithaca, New York. However, they face daily challenges with the new construction sites, parking, and much more with running a business in Ithaca, New York. Next week on Ithaca Now, we will discuss more about these challenges and what it's like to run a business. For WICB News, I'm Jacqueline Agahigian. If you have a pet cat, I'm sure you would like to think that yours is the most popular in all of Ithaca. But there is one cat that makes it hard to compete. I spent my week looking into what is known as the Ithaca Kitty, and here's what I found out. I'm here today to talk about a cat. A cat that is not even a real cat. Not anymore, at least. A cat that has seven toes and is actually a historical figure. This is no ordinary cat, oh no. This is the Ithaca Kitty. It all started in 1890 in 116 Oak Avenue, Ithaca, where Celia and William Hazlitt Smith lived with their two-year-old daughter and Cesar Gamalkin, the cat who would go on to become the inspiration for the Ithaca Kitty. What made Caesar special was his seven-toed paws, the result of a congenital anomaly. According to the family story, one day Celia pointed at the cat sitting in the sunlight and exclaimed, I could make you out of three pieces of cloth! And so, with the help of her sister-in-law Charity Smith, she created what was then called Tabby Cat, now referred to as the Ithaca Kitty. The two women got the design for the sew-at-home toy patented, and it soon went on to become enormously popular, not only within Ithaca, but all the way from Maine to California. The toy went on to be sold across the world and maintained its popularity until well after World War I. Today, this little piece of Ithaca history is carried forward by the History Center in Tompkins County which not only has a picture of the cat Caesar and original patent papers for the design, but also sells Ithaca Kitties $25 a piece at the gift shop. Jean Endress, a retired Ithaca College employee and a volunteer at the History Center, knows all about the history of the Ithaca Kitty and what made it special at that time. Well, it's an item from the history of Ithaca, something that happened that hadn't really happened anywhere else. The Ithaca Kitty was a stuffed toy that people could construct in their own home once they got the printed pieces of cloth that made up the Ithaca Kitty. The Ithaca Kitty was the first cloth toy that could stand up on its own base. Most things made out of cloth were could be stuffed like a pillow, but they would just kind of lie there. Uh, the Ithaca Kitty would stand up just like a real cat, it was almost the size of a real cat, and so it was something that uh, people could construct and give to their kids to play with, throw around, throw at the wall, whatever they wanted. Many people had 
a sewing machine in their home. So it was easy to do all the sewing it took to put these three pieces of cloth together, uh, stuff it with cotton or something like that, and have this fat little cat. The toy was big enough that, thanks to her lawyer husband, Celia Smith patented the Ithaca Kitty. It turns out other companies eventually copied the idea and made stuffed toy kits of different animals of all kinds, even little dolls and things. Um, but Celia Smith may have been the very first. In 2018, the History Center brought back the Ithaca Kitty. But why, after so many years? Even before 2018, I'd seen an Ithaca Kitty that we had in our collection mm -hmm. that was made much earlier and thought, well, that's kind of a cute thing. And um, I'm sure the decision was made. Uh, our director at the time said, this would be an interesting item to actually allow people to obtain. And uh, it would be a good thing also to promote the museum. He also emphasized on why people are still attracted to the Ithaca Kitty, besides the history of it. I keep one by your side, and this little stuffed animal. Uh, it doesn't need a cat box. It doesn't need to be fed. <laughs> it's kind of cute. It's a talking point. He pointed out an interesting connection that he discovered while researching the Ithaca Kitty involving the original cat's owner. We have some of the uh, letters that Celia Smith sent back and forth to the printing company in Massachusetts. And there was a picture on the company's letterhead of the factory in North Adams, Massachusetts. And that rang a bell in my head. I'm a nut about trains, and there's a huge tunnel near North Adams. So I knew something about manufacturing there. And this huge factory was able to manufacture flooring and other fabrics that were up to 300 feet long, huge. And eventually the factory became uh, manufactured electronic parts during the Second World War. And then when that company went out of business, they had this giant empty factory that had been the printing plant for the Ithaca Kitty. And that got turned into a museum, which has space for the biggest exhibits anybody can have. This room where they had the 300-foot-long fabrics, it's still there. It's gigantic. And the place is called the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, or Mass MoCA. And strikingly, Ithaca history connects up with this museum that's one of the biggest contemporary art museums in the country. And I find that amazing. He went on to talk about how the craze for the kitty eventually died out. It was eventually outmoded by the fact that people, big factories could manufacture a toy like this much less expensively than uh, you could buy it and put in the work to make it on your own. So uh, they were kind of priced out of existence by manufacturing somewhere else. <laughs> So are they really erased from existence? No. Thanks to the History Center and the Ithaca community, who continues to buy and engage with the Ithaca Kitty today, it's sticking around. Events such as the Sewing Bee, which lets volunteers come in and build the kitties, as well as a contest where people bring their own seven-toed cats to take a picture of alongside an Ithaca Kitty, 
keep the spirit of the historical cat alive. So yeah, that's the story of Caesar Grimalkin, the cat, and his many clawed successors. Another fun fact before I leave, Grimalkin was actually a Victorian English word that meant exactly what he was, gray cat. For WICB News, I'm Himadri Sikh. Six degrees of separation is the idea that all people are six or fewer social connections away from one another. To explore this idea in the small city of Ithaca, WICB correspondent Sarah Herbakowicz picked up a telephone book, flipped to a page, and interviewed a random member of the community. From there, connections developed, and so did a project. Here is the fifth episode of this series. Welcome back to Six Degrees, a podcast series that started with one blind phone call and a hope that six random strangers would agree to tell me their life stories. I'm now five connections into my journey to test this theory of six degrees of separation and prove that we're all a bit more connected than we think. And after speaking to Sherman last week, this fifth degree starts with his friend, Bob. Hello, Sarah. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Where are you? In Ithaca? Yes. What do you want to talk about? This is well, your interview. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, what your connection is to Ithaca. Well, uh, all right. I'm 73 years old. Now, I grew up in Lowville, New York, near Watertown, so I tell people I moved here for the climate. <laughs> I came to Ithaca in 1972 with uh, my wife at the time. She was uh, going to attend Cornell. She did attend Cornell. She left years ago and actually passed away 25 or 30 years ago, and uh, but I've been here ever since. Fond memories with his family kept Bob grounded to upstate New York, but his career took off early on. I graduated from college in 1968. My brother had gone into the Navy flight program two years earlier, and um, I visited him in Pensacola when he was training and uh, was kind of fascinated by the whole thing. And then in 1968, there was a draft, but no lottery. So once I graduated college, I was going to be drafted into the Army immediately. So I joined the Navy flight program instead. So it's not like I had a lifelong desire to fly, right. but it turns out that I had an aptitude for it, and, uh, and I liked it a lot. His time in the Navy was full of ups, downs, and upside downs. You start out in a small single-engine airplane, and then we would immediately start learning aerobatics in the Navy. That's what you did. As soon as you soloed, you started doing, you know, loops and rolls and et cetera, spins. <laughs> Pretty fun. Yeah. After I uh, finished my training, I went back and was a flight instructor for a couple of years. And so I taught that part of the syllabus that was aerobatics three times a day for two years, and uh, I had enough. And when you're teaching people to fly, is it ever nerve-wracking to be with someone who's flying for the first time? You have controls also, so no, it's not. Okay. A, <laughs> it's not at all nerve-wracking. <laughs> uh, there, there was one time in the Navy that, all right, so the student was in the front seat, and I'm in the back seat, and we were doing spins, and um, in the middle of the spin, his seatbelt came loose, and he fell out of the seat and mm -hmm. kind of got his head caught between the dashboard and the canopy and I'm thinking wow this is kind of uh, I I hope he can get back in the seat and recover and I hope he's not 
on the controls where I can't move them. Check the controls, and he wasn't blocking them. I could still recover from the spin if I needed to. And uh, I decided to just wait and see what happens, see if he could get back in the seat and recover himself. And he did. Oh, my God. That takes such, like, patience. <laughs> well, and I said, you know, that wasn't so good. I think we better climb back up and try it again. Once Bob was back in Ithaca after Navy training, he worked his way into the skies once again. Moved to Ithaca, I got a job with a company at the airport that does maintenance and pumps fuel, and they also had a little charter service. And so I worked first pumping fuel and then uh, flying airplanes for this um, little charter business called Chart Air. And actually, that was a lot of fun. Back in those days, we flew small planes, and they were relatively modestly priced. So we flew a lot of um, interesting people. And he built up quite the resume of passengers. Let me tell you some of the people that flew in those small airplanes in the early days. At the time, uh, Cornell University had a renowned uh, astronomy department. Uh, Frank Drake, he's the man who um, started the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Tom Gold was a very famous astronomer with some crackpot ideas. Carl Sagan was a frequent customer. Oh, wow. And it was fun because uh, sometimes I'd be taking him to, like, speak somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would invite me to come along and attend the talk, and that was fun. Then he began piloting his own future. A few years later, uh, I left Chart Air and started my own company. One of my first customers were... Um, Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden, one time, and we flew the whole Republican leadership out to California. Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House. You know, just about anybody you can name, we've flown uh, at some point or another. But I wanted to know about one passenger in particular, my last interviewee. How do you know Sherman? That's a good question. I don't even know the answer. And as it turns out, Sherman's father-in-law, Mike Abrams, had been a special passenger of Bob's. He was the um, editor of the Norton Anthology of uh, English Literature for many, many years. During the Obama administration, he was awarded the Medal of Freedom. And um, he was, I think, 99 at the time. We flew him down to uh, uh, D.C. with Judy and Sherm to uh, get the award. That was pretty cool. And I have a photograph of all of them there, and I knew that I flew them. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> Mike Abrams is wearing this very nice uh, black suit and some very nice black shoes, and when he passed away, uh, it turns out that he and I were the same size, and uh, that's my wedding funeral and bar mitzvah suit. And, of course, I had one final question for Bob. What was the most rewarding part of all your years of flying? What's the most rewarding? I, gosh, you know, it's uh, just flying all over the world and seeing so many different places that you never, ever, ever would be able to get to any other way. It's been uh, uh, a wonderful uh, career. And with that, I was ready to get started on my next and final call of the series. There's anyone then, maybe it was a passenger you flew um, or anything like that. Louise Cannon is a um, good friend of mine and a um, teacher at Ithaca College. She teaches um, writing, and uh, we've been good friends for 30 years. 
Well, I would uh, love to meet you in person. Sherman, you and me should go have a cocktail sometime. For sure. Talk okay. soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, Sarah. One degree closer and one story more. For WICB News, I'm Sarah Horbakowitz. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. Tune in to our podcast two weeks from now at 7 p.m. for more stories and news impacting the Ithaca community. You can find all of our content on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to our past broadcasts, find our podcast for free on our website, WICB.org news. For more updates throughout the week, follow us on social media. Search for WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard. WICB Station Manager, Peter Champelli. And our new staff, Executive Director, Bridget Bright. Production Director, Celine Tudor. Managing Director, Jay Bradley. And our correspondents, Michael Memis, William Strelikus. Antonio Firm, Jacqueline Agahigian, and Sarah Herbakowicz. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff who hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful rest of your week. I'm Himadri Seh and this has been Ithaca Now on 92 WICB.